If you ever needed evidence that humility was not a virtue prized in the ancient world, James and John's repeated behavior is evidence of that. The audacity of approaching Jesus and saying, can we sit at your right and your left in the kingdom? Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I pray that through your word, you would call us to your throne of grace. And I pray there we would find the mercy and the grace that we need to continue on this journey through the wilderness of life towards the rest that has been promised to us. Amen. Well, last week, Michael was ordained, and this week we sent him off to work already. He's down in North Carolina covering for one of the other priests in our diocese, leading two services. He got thrown right into the deep end because they're a church that has a contemporary service early. I mean, a traditional service early and a contemporary one late. So he's going to have to figure out how to celebrate communion in two slightly different ways without ever doing it before. Our reading in Hebrews 4 begins with a declaration that we need to hear. This is where we're going to be this morning. It begins with a declaration that we need to hear. In verse 9, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I love this. There remains. In other words, there's something out there that has not yet been fully given to us. Something that we haven't fully experienced. There remains a rest for us. Think of that for a second. A rest is waiting. That's good news to all those who are weary and burdened. That there is a rest waiting out there for you. This declaration is one that I want to meditate on with you this morning. It's the tail end of a discussion that begins in chapter 3 verse 7. And we're going to actually understand this declaration of rest better if we backtrack. And so I want to summarize a bit of the last chapter and a half. Hebrews 3 through 4 is basically an extended meditation on Psalm 95. Justin joked with me last week when we were looking at the texts, why in the world did we sing Psalm 91 this morning and not Psalm 95? Because the entirety of this set of thinking revolves around Psalm 95. Psalm 95 reminds us of the story of the Jews wandering in the wilderness. They had been freed from grueling slavery and oppression. They had been freed from death at the whim of a tyrant. Now they're wandering in the wilderness. They're trudging through the years of difficulty and monotony. But there's a promise that's been given they would one day enter a land. They would one day, under God's protection, receive a true home. And in that home, they would receive homes they didn't build, gardens and vineyards they didn't plant. God would protect them in that home. Psalm 91, which we did sing this morning, describes some of that rest in that home. You will no longer be afraid of the pestilence that stalks at night. Disease would be taken away. 
you will no longer be afraid of the terror that walks in the midday. The terror that walks in the midday is that sense of life is worthless and I can't bring myself to keep going. The way we feel when we just want to give up in the middle of the day. The promised land was a promise of under the security and the blessing of God's presence. All of that would be stripped away. Diseases would end. Miscarriages would stop. They would be given true rest from their labors, security, peace, and joy in the presence of God. The writer to Hebrews reminds his congregation, and therefore us, of that story because the story corresponds to us. The story of the Jews freed from slavery, wandering in the wilderness, promised a home of security and rest. That story corresponds to us. It's what theologians call a type. A type is a living image, a foreshadowing of a greater reality to to come. Their story was a type pointing towards us. The greater reality is what Jesus is doing for us. The story corresponds to us. Think with me. They were rescued from slavery. We have been rescued from the greater slavery. The Pharaoh that is the devil himself. They were rescued from bondage. We have been rescued from the bondage of our sins. They were wandering in the wilderness waiting for a promised land. And we also are walking through the wilderness that is the world yet not fully subjected to Christ. Wandering through the wilderness that is years of monotony, years of difficulty. Wandering through the wilderness of, Lord, when will you show up again? Wandering through the wilderness of waiting on the provision of God, knowing that if he doesn't show up with manna, we will not make it to tomorrow. The type corresponds to us. But just like them, the type of the promise rest corresponds to us. And remember the way these prophetic foreshadowings work is that the thing that they point to is greater than the symbol, the image, the picture that was given first. So if their rest in Canaan meant diseases are banished, if their rest in Canaan meant God is overshadowing you in protection, he fights on your behalf, if their rest in Canaan meant homes you did not build, gardens and vineyards you did not plant, children who flourish around your table, if that's what their rest meant. Imagine ours. The rest that is offered to us is the rest of security, a place in the presence of God where God is all and in all. Our lives are bound up in him, and the only thing left is peace, hope, and joy. As I said, it's a declaration of rest that we need to hear because our lives are weighed down so often with weariness. The weight of our work hangs on our shoulders. The legacy and the effects of our sin hangs on our shoulders. The legacy and the effects of the sin of the world drags us down. Our families, our churches, Our nations all bear the scars and the wounds of all that harms and oppresses. We need to hear this declaration that there is a rest to come. A rest not just of stopping, but a rest where everything is healed. All is made right. Can you imagine that Sabbath rest? The point when everything needed has been done. 
the point when there is no longer an incomplete part of you. The point when there is no longer an incomplete part of your family. The point where there is no longer a wound that has not been healed, a sorrow that has not been answered. Can you imagine that rest? That's the declaration that's offered to us. There is a rest that remains for the people of God. The part that's hard, though, is that the writer of Hebrews does not tell us about this rest primarily to comfort us. It is indeed comforting and reassuring to know that that rest, that Sabbath rest of God, sits out there waiting for us. That is comforting and reassuring. But that's not his point. His primary point is actually to warn us. It's to warn us. It's to wake us up. That warning is implicit in verse 11. He says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, so that no one may fall. There's a warning there, a warning that some will fall before reaching that rest. And he's waking us up, saying this rest is truly offered to you. But some may fall before they reach it. He's trying to wake us up. Remember the story of the Jews wandering in the wilderness, the prophetic foreshadowing of our lives. Some fell in the wilderness. They fell in the wilderness and did not reach the rest that God offered. This entire passage, chapters 3 and 4, is actually an exhortation to the church. And it's an exhortation that's based on the fact that just as some fell then, some might fall now. We don't have time to go verse by verse through all of chapter 3 and 4, but he repeatedly says to them, don't be like those who fell in the wilderness. He lists three basic reasons why some fell in the wilderness. He said that there were those with hardened hearts. There were those who disbelieved God's promises. And there were those who disobeyed. Hardened hearts, disbelief, and disobedience. He says that's what happened to them. And he's telling the church, today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't doubt his word. Today, if you hear his voice, don't disobey what he's asking you to do. There is a rest offered. Can you imagine the tragedy of not reaching it, of falling in the wilderness of life before reaching that beauty that is offered? The entire passage is an exhortation to the church, a church that was wavering. And so he reminds them of the promise. But he warns them, they, just like the generation in the wilderness, could fall if they allow their hearts to be hardened. They could fall if they refuse to believe, and they could fall if they disobey. As beautiful as God's promise of rest is, chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews are actually hardly comforting. The main thrust of them is a warning, lest we fall in the wilderness of life. Lest we fall because we have a heart hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lest we fall because we don't trust God's word. Or lest we fall because of outright disobedience. This warning actually reaches its peak in verses that are well known, even beloved to us. Look at verses 12 and 13. 
This is the peak of the warning. We rip these verses from their context so frequently. He says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In the context of warning the church against the danger of hardness of heart. In the context of warning the church against disobedience. In the context of warning the church against disbelief. In that context, he says that God's word will lay bare your hearts. Like I said, these verses are hardly comforting, even though the promise of rest is. His warning is severe. Martin Luther actually says of this passage, the apostle is terrifying us. God's word will reveal the depths of your heart. It will reveal the secret places, the hidden places, the places buried so deep that we do not want anyone else to see them. It will reveal the places that we have done everything in our power to cover up, to hide, it will reveal those places where we have lied to ourselves. And he says at the end of verse 13, it will leave us naked and exposed before the one to whom we must give an account. That's terrifying. The word of God leaving you naked and exposed before God and you saying, I have to explain. I have to explain the hardness of my heart. I have to explain my disbelief. I have to explain my disobedience. These verses, like Luther said, terrify us if you listen. The humble, the humble who are sensitive to the word of God know exactly what's being talked about here. The humble know what it means to read the word of God and to be cut to the core, to have it reveal places that need to be healed, reveal places of selfishness, the humble hear Jesus saying, do not be anxious for anything. And the humble says, I can't. How? The word reveals our inadequacy. The humble hear Jesus saying, bless those who persecute you. And the humble respond with, but Lord, but Lord, I feel so bitter towards that person that's hurt me. The humble who are sensitive know what the writer of Hebrews is describing. The word of God cutting like a sword, revealing the depths of the soul, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Those who are not quite so humble, slightly more spiritually confident, don't have as easy of a time hearing this. Think of the rich young man. He comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need for eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, I've kept them all. He's confident. But Jesus takes out the word, the sword, and he pierces deep. He reframes the commandment about idolatry and covetousness, and he says, sell your money. Sell your money and give it all away. Give it all away and follow me. And in reframing the commandment of covetousness and idolatry, the man was pierced to the heart. He was not that far off. There was still some life in his heart. The spiritually hardened reject it all. They say, that has no claim on me. 
nothing to do with me. And they reject it all in their hardened heart. They don't hear the word piercing, revealing, exposing. But even the spiritually hardened will stand before the Lord and be judged in the end. A few chapters later in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the writer tells us that it's appointed for all to die. And after this comes judgment. Even the hardened, in other words, the sword will pierce their heart and reveal and expose so that they stand before the Lord naked with no excuse. His word strips our pretenses away. It reveals who we truly are. His word exposes us, revealing our deepest thoughts and intentions. Like Martin Luther said, this is not a friendly passage. Hard to think about, but important. Hebrews has been speaking of the promised rest. It's been speaking how many died in the wilderness without receiving that promise, how they disobeyed God, how they grumbled against him, how they hardened their hearts and rebelled against him. And in that context, when the writer of Hebrews says that the word of the Lord is living and active, he's thinking of the word of God in general. But he's actually thinking of this specific word, the one that he's been quoting, Psalm 95, the story that Psalm 95 recites that we find in Exodus and Numbers. This specific word is a sword piercing and revealing our hearts. Let me explain. When you hear the promise of God's Sabbath rest, when you hear the promise of God's Sabbath rest, do you receive it in faith? Does it transform your heart? Or is it just an empty dream? More pie in the sky talk. The word of the promised rest itself is a sword revealing our faith or lack thereof. When you hear the promise of rest, do you say that's too far off and look for other promised lands, other rest, quicker places to get to what we want? Are you willing to wait for it? Again, the word, the promise, it is a sword. It pierces and it reveals. If we hear that word and we say, I'm not willing to wait for that. I'm looking for my own fulfillment now. The word itself has revealed our lack of faith, our hardened heart. When you hear the promised rest that is held out, do you look to turn back to Egypt? There's got to be an easier way to fit in in this world. There's got to be an easier way to make do. Again, the word pierces and it reveals. It reveals us pursuing things that are no longer permissible. It re reveals us not trusting that God will actually show up. When you hear the promise of rest, do you grumble because of the length of the journey? Again, the sword pierces. And the word itself reveals our lack of faith. It reveals our hardness of heart. It reveals our disobedience. Remember the story in the wilderness of the spies coming back from Canaan? The giants are too big. God can't do it. When you hear the story of the promised rest, when you trudge through the journey and you hear the story of the rest to come, do you, like them, say, God can't get me there? The giants are too big. The giants of my sin are too big. Again, the sword pierces and reveals our lack of faith, our disbelief, 
our hardness of hearts. The word, the promise itself, pierces and reveals. We are like those in the wilderness we find so oftentimes, doubting God's promise. I'm talking about myself here. It reveals how hard it is to believe that God will indeed show up in the way that he has promised. His word pierces and reveals all those places where we have hardened our hearts because it seems too far off or the journey seems too difficult. It reveals all the places where we have looked for our own way to fulfill ourselves, because we don't believe that God will actually bring this to us. His word pierces and reveals. It leaves us naked before God without pretense, without justification, without excuse. And in that moment when we are exposed, we say, why was my faith so small? Why was my heart so hard? Why did I obey so little? Hebrews 4, chapters, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 terrifies. And if the chapter ended here, we would despair. The idea of being naked and exposed before the Lord to whom we give an account is not a comforting thought. But the good news is that the chapter doesn't actually end here. Luther says, after terrifying us, he comforts us. After pouring wine in our wounds, he now pours oil in them. Because the writer to Hebrews turns from this terror of standing naked before God, just as clearly as he had said that there was a place of rest, and just as clearly as he had said some will fail to enter it, now he says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The image is shifted. We are no longer wandering in the wilderness. We're actually standing now at the doors of the tabernacle. Remember this whole thing of prophetic types. We're standing at the door to the tabernacle. It's the day of atonement, and the high priest has just entered the Holy of Holies. This is what's being described. The high priest has passed through the various courts and entered the very depths to the ark where he's making atonement for the people, cleansing the tabernacle. Just as the wilderness is a type for our wandering, the tabernacle is a type for the heavenly courts. Hebrews will make this clear in a few chapters. The activity of the priest purifying the tabernacle in the people, entering into the Holy of Holies, that activity is a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus' ascension. The ascension may be the most forgotten major doctrine in the Bible. We think Jesus just went away. He didn't just go away. He was the high priest walking through the courts, entering into the Holy of Holies as he ascended. That's what's being described here. He went into the throne room in the ascension to atone for us. He took the sacrifice of himself and went into the very center of the universe's temple, the throne room of God, and there offered the sacrifice of himself to the Father. That's what happened in the ascension. And this is what Hebrews is describing. We have a high priest who's passed through the heavens. 
He's entered into that throne room for us. The ark was called the mercy seat. It was God's throne on earth. And here he says Jesus has gone to the very throne of the Father, the thing that the ark only pictured prophetically. The amazing thing about these verses, the comfort that comes out of them, is that we are actually permitted to follow afterwards. This startles. If you think of the type, the tabernacle, on the Day of Atonement, one day per year, the priest enters the throne room of God. One day per year, he goes to the mercy seat, and he goes on behalf of the people, but no one is permitted to follow. What does Hebrews say right here? Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Jesus blazed through the heavens as a pioneer into the very throne room of God, and he did it. Imagine this, turning back saying, you are now allowed to follow me. You can come with me. You can come to this place that you could never go before. We're permitted to go with him to the very throne itself. And the thing that we find at that throne is not condemnation. We would expect that. The word of God reveals the hardness of our heart. It reveals our disbelief. It reveals our disobedience. But when we follow Jesus to the throne, we find something utterly unbelievable. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. How is this possible? How is this possible? Y'all know the story. That in that offering of himself, he actually takes away the guilt of our failure to believe. In that offering of himself, he cleanses us so that we can approach And in words that I still struggle to believe, he says we can draw near with confidence. With confidence, step into the presence of the Father. Oh, you who in the weary journey of life say, I don't know if I'll make it. Oh, you who says, I don't know that the promised land really is waiting for me. Oh, you who says the journey may be too hard and I may not get there. Oh, you who says, why does it have to be this way? Couldn't he do it faster? Oh, me, who says, Lord, can't you speed this thing up? It's too difficult. He says, draw near with confidence. Draw near. Come to the throne room with Jesus. Come and find mercy and grace. Our priest is not frustrated with us for our struggle to maintain the faith. He's not frustrated with us for our hardness of hearts. He's not frustrated even with us for our disobedience. We hear here that he's sympathetic He knows our weaknesses. He's become like us in every way. He knows the full weight of the temptations we face. And with that sympathy, he plowed through the courts of heaven to the very throne room, shouting to you and to me, come with me. Come with me to the Father. Come with me to find mercy and grace. Come with me. This is what he's calling out to you this morning. Come, draw near to the Father. Don't linger outside in hardness of heart. Don't linger outside in disbelief. Don't linger outside in disobedience. But come to the presence of the Father. You will find mercy and grace there. You will find a high priest there who will watch over you, protect you. If you say, how do I come? How do I come? 
The answer of Hebrews is actually remarkably simple. It's primarily come in your gathering together to worship. Come when you confess your faith. Let it be a confession of hope as much as it is a confession of belief. Come when you pray together. Seek his presence in those moments. Come when you confess your sins. Trust that he hears and forgives all that you say in that moment. As you come, greet one another in peace and love because we are standing at the footstool of the throne. And come when you come to the altar. Come as you gather around the table where the Lord Jesus Christ is both host and meal. You know, the early church didn't hesitate to call the altar the throne of God. That was why they bowed to it when they passed by. Because they understood that they were coming to the Father when they came to this table. Come close. Expect that he will give you mercy and grace. If you find the wilderness journey is long, if you find your heart is hard, the disobedience rampant in your life, come to the Father this morning. Amen.